Welcome to Strange Little Worlds, a bi-weekly podcast telling you true stories of crime and paranormal experiences in the little worlds you may call home. I'm your host, Danny, And I'm your host, Drew. And while we said last time we were going to go to Staten Island... We got caught in a little bit of traffic <laughs> on the way back, so we decided to take a little bit of a detour... And passing by a lot of, you know, the the Long Islandness uh, there, we found some really interesting things. Uh, and, you know, far be it from us to disappoint you four people listening right now, uh, soon to be six if this goes well. Uh, we <laughs> Hi, de- Mom. Yeah, exactly. So we decided uh, we, we'd look into a little bit more. And we found two stories that I'm not going to lie, I, I had a little trouble sleeping after I did my research. So, I mean, I, I didn't even, I told you some of mine. Yes. And I haven't even heard what yours is, but I, I'm sure that I'm You're might, not going to sleep at night. <laughs> I, I'm sure that if the heat wasn't already keeping me up, I would definitely just grisly dreams of You're going to need to put some ice death. next to your pillow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I, honestly, you guys buckle up, you know, grab a drink, you know, and um, we apologize ahead of time for your insomnia. Yes, yes. And let's go for a walk on the boardwalk and listen to some more stories from Long Island. Another paranormal and another true crime. Mine might freak you out, actually. But we're going to start with you today. Oh, start with me. Yeah, we're oh. going to start with you because I am really curious about what you have to say. Okay. All right. Well, on our way back, um, we decided to take a little bit of a detour. And I, I run hot, you know. So I thought, let's take a bit of a dip. Now, of course, I'm going to avoid Jones Beach. Because it's getting near the holidays, as we know, that's stuffed with tourists and oh, a lot of weird people that, you know, a lot of times you're looking like, I don't think this person would believe. Oh, yeah. Well, we're recording beach. this. This might come out way later, but we're recording this before July 4th. It's coming right up. So yeah, enjoy, so, y'all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So just stay at home. Um, so where we found, sadly, was, um, well, I should say sadly, we did find one place that we could stay at. But unfortunately, we can't swim in it. It's called Lake Ronkonkoma. Mm. Now, this is Long Island's largest freshwater lake that, I don't know, Danny, if you know, but this is actually, funny enough, this was created by a retreating glacier, like, ages ago. Oh. So, and I, again, I enjoy a good swim as much as the next person. I learned how to swim my grandparents' uh, pool back in Pennsylvania, almost drowned in that <laughs> that pool funny enough oh my god it's true and i gotta tell you just as a side note you have not written a more awkward thank you card than to your uncle who saved your life like uh, like thank you for <laughs> thank you saving for my life not letting me drown exactly appreciate it so what oh i found god. out that well i'm glad you didn't drown I, as, as i i have to say I, I i can't say the same for some of these people i'm about to read about oh god but um so this lake lake ronkonkoma which is an algonquin uh, name, uh, which means Boundary Fishing Lake, has mm-hmm. been inspiring legends that's going back as far as when the Native American tribes uh, populated that area. Ooh. Now, according to uh, the Native New Yorkers Legacy of the Algonquin People of New York by Evan T. Pritchard, uh, the Native Americans viewed this place as a highly sacred site of, re- of religious rituals. Tribes of all different kinds would actually embark on a pilgrimage there, traveling Ooh. almost 100 miles or more wow. to undergo vision quests on the shore. Now, the lake itself has the is still has a tendency to their waters tend to rise and fall periodically with absolutely no connection to local rainfall. If it was a drought, 
the waters would sometimes uh, like continue further. If it was like even plenty of rainfall, they would recede for no explanation. Oh my God. Uh, the Native Americans uh, believed that this was the work of creatures that they're called. Uh, I'm, I apologize ahead of time for any mispronunciation of these terms. I'm horrible with the such things and uh, whatnot. They're called uh, Manitous. And that's uh, they're powerful spirits that dwell in places like the lake. So, so they're like water spirits. Exactly. Okay. Water spirits, or or what? Or what they believed to be like exactly water just just entities within the lake. And okay. of course, Native Americans, as we know, being people that are very um, well attuned to a lot of um, spiritualism and whatnot. You know, if anyone's ever watched Poltergeist, you really do not mess with burial grounds or things <laughs> that have Native American. Um, Literally, anytime there's a Native burial ground involved, just don't just don't mess with it. So it's not a burial ground itself, but it was a very well-recognized Native American site. So the lake itself is, as I said, it's considered their biggest and deepest lake. Now, most of the lake is less than about 15 feet, which is, I believe, 4.6 uh, millimeters or whatnot. I'm getting horrible okay. at math. Okay. So their bottom... Is, is considered, you mean meters? Yeah. The bottom is considered difficult for fish to survive in because there's a lack of oxygen. And, okay. Um, and also on top of it, if you go in a certain amount, um, since there's a lack of visibility, there are parts of the lake that are just complete darkness. Oh. So it's just absolute darkness, which is just frightening to imagine because water itself is, you know, it's it's, it's calm and, and, yeah, and refreshing. It's clear. But when you're swimming, not to be able to see what's around you, what's in front of you, whatnot. Oh I mean, it's literally like the setting up of a horror movie. But this is also a freshwater yeah, lake. exactly. Like, there's no, like, salt to kind of, like... Nope. Oh. So, you know, there... So, that keep that in mind. So, there are parts of the, this landmark, this very strange place, that are almost 70 or 90 feet deep. So that's pretty, pretty deep. Holy like, crap. Yeah, there was even rumors at one point that people actually thought the lake was bottomless. I mean, they disproved that it definitely has a bottom. Okay. But so the Native Americans actually thought the lake was, like I said, originally bottomless because since those who drowned would often disappear instead of like floating <gasps> on water. Oh. So you would never find the bodies. Okay. So drowning is, again, it's a weird thing to say, but it's kind of the legacy for this lake because there have been consistent cases where people drown at this still popular vacation spot for decades like some people even say spanning hundreds of years oh my god so and people still going well yeah exactly because tourists i mean come on how many you times, don't know how many times do people still come back to camp crystal lake i mean true, you know so in my research i, I um, thank you especially to the late lake ronkonkoma historical society i actually found a translated with supposedly a native american prayer to the lake Ooh. Which I don't mind if, you know, I'll read too. Yeah. So it's, O sacred lake with shape of skull and known as Satcham's Pond, I will not eat your fish that swim and break forbidden bond. They are not really fish for food, superior beings all. O sacred lake, protect me from the evil demon call. Wow. That's... So this lake was not to be swimmed in, basically. Swam. So it was swamming. Yeah. Not to be so, swamming. So the Native Americans already, like, I mean, I'm sorry, that's pretty chilling, chilly as is. So there is a legend that's linked to this lake that explains some of its more later on, uh, let's say, tragic history. Wow. So... This goes back to apparently a legend, Native American legend, about a princess who 
all-purposes name was Ronkonkoma. Mm -hmm. uh, she was a Native American princess who drowned in the lake around the oh. mid-1600s. Now, the legend has it that she fell in love with an English woodcutter named Hugh Birdsall, who lived in a log hut near the, again, I apologize, I'm saying this wrong, wrong the Contiquat River. Okay. Now, historically, the lake itself, Lake Ronkonkoma, serves as a boundary between the lands occupied by four different Native American communities. communities. The... Again, apologies. The Unkishwags, the Nesequags, the Setueks, and the Sekakos. Now, again, apologies. I'm, I know I'm saying that all wrong. But, um, and the town, we know, is nearby Smithtown, mm -hmm. which, as we know, was settled in uh, 1665. So there would have been scattered European settlers in the area as the location starts to grow slowly until it was officially settled by the 1740s. Now, according to the legend... But this lake separates already four different tribes. Exactly. Okay. Right. And then we've got... Okay, Settlers gotcha. gradually coming okay, in. Because okay. Smithtown itself has Native American um, uh, backings, which it, at the end, I don't mind. There actually is a really interesting legend um, about how the man who um, founded Smithtown was able to get the land from Native Americans. Fascinating. Clever. I will tell that later because it's a separate thing. I don't want to describe. Okay, okay. Yeah. So according to the legend, when Ronkonkoma uh, inadvertently saw uh, Hugh Birdsall, she later on would sneak away on moonlit nights and make her way out to his house, which is a little far from where her tribe lived, where she would watch him hidden in the trees. Aww. You know, he was unaware of her presence. Oh, so she's a stalker. Yeah. This is, this, <laughs> oh, this, this is actually romantic, oh, but oops. now this is a little creepy. Now it's like, uh, hold on. <laughs> so he was supposedly unaware of her presence until this one uh, summer night when the moon was full and this guy, Birdsall, was, um, was unable to sleep. So he's pacing back and forth in front of his cabin because, you know, they don't have television. Right, those right. Days. Back, back in no. those days. <laughs> in, in front of his cabin. Because that's exactly when I can't sleep, I'm just going to be I'm in just going to walk in front of my cabin. Just tire myself out. I mean, you can't do push-ups or anything yet. <laughs> you know, just, yeah. just, just take a walk back and forth. <laughs> exactly, you know. So uh, it was at this moment that Ronkonkoma, uh, who's in the – woods watching him she catches the full light of the moon due to like her uh, ensemble which had colored uh, beads oh, made of glass okay. in the ensemble oh so it like caught the light exactly it's like reflective so it makes her presence known to him now he uh hubertsall reciprocated the love that ronkonkoma felt for him oh okay so now it's romantic right now it's romantic <laughs> it was a little creepy but like, now okay, it's like now, oh she's beautiful like, exactly she's beautiful she loves me cool <laughs> you know but however of course her father, who is the chief of the um, the Sachuek Sachem tribe, okay. who are among the first to sell to the European settlers in that area, mm -hmm. she denies their request for marriage and she forbids <gasps> his daughter from ever seeing Birdsall. Oh, the again. chief, the chief, chief yeah, yeah. Oh, so this is this is no. kind of Pocahontas. Oh, like. yeah, this is like I'm like sitting here, I'm like, oh my god, Pocahontas news. Exactly. <laughs> so despite this proclamation, the princess secretly wrote letters to her lover. Also, oh, she learned how to write in, in well, whatever language I, at the time. Yeah, she, I guess, we're guessing English. I feel like because they were working with settlers, they most likely had to learn some form of English. Oh, and she's there writing mm -hmm. letters. Oh. So she wrote letters hidden in pieces of birch bark, which she then wrote. She rose herself out into the middle of the lake 
and she allows them to float their way across the lake and down the river. And every time, Hugh would just wait. Um, <clears throat> oh, so he knew this was like... Yeah, he would wait oh. near the edge of the water, near his cabin, for the piece of bark that would eventually surface. Oh. Now, here's a part where the legend differs, because a lot of times, as you know, old legends, they have different endings. Word of mouth, yeah, yeah it starts exactly. to kind of change. So one version, which I find was pretty complete, which is tragically romantic in a sense, I guess, is that the years apart from Birdsall, uh, Hugh, that's mm-hmm. his year. I don't, the last name is weird. Um, you know, Birdbath. It's bath. like a journalist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the guy Birdbath. Uh, <laughs> one version states that after years being apart from him, uh, became too much for the princess to take. So after sending this cryptic message that she would see him in the morning, she rose out to the middle of the lake that had become this messenger of their forbidden love. Yes. And she stabs herself to death. <gasps> Right through the heart. Oh, my God. So when dawn arrives, um, Hubert Saul is apparently waiting for the message, as he has done for the last seven years. And according to legend, he witnessed a canoe rise out from the depths of the river and and make its way toward him, almost like it's being guided for this, like, unseen supernatural hand. Wow. And he sees the canoe, and in there is the body of his love. And upon seeing that, he leaps into the canoe where he cradles her beautiful yet lifeless body. And the canoe is then carried out, like, down the river Mm -hmm. and supposedly out to sea so that they could enjoy the afterlife together. Mm. Now, that's... The, yeah, exactly. Oh my god. It's like my, my inner romantic is like, no, they could have lived happily ever after if it wasn't for dad. Mm-hmm. So, another version. <laughs> that is so tragic. Oh, so that's one version. That's one version. Okay. So, another version. So, you know, yep, take, take a drink. Yeah. I need a drink. Okay. <laughs> another version, which is a little bit more sad, but in a different way, is that she finds out that Hugh passed away. Oh. And then out of grief, she drowns herself in the lake. Okay. And her body is later discovered in Connecticut. Now, the reason for that is that that version supports the idea that the lake uh, was bottomless. And because it was bottomless, it had channels underground that would connect to other lakes. So okay. that's how it could be from one area and end up somewhere else. Except now we know that it's not bottomless. Exactly. So, so that kind of... so. <clears throat> Unless so, someone transported her body there, maybe? Maybe. And, so mm-hmm. at this time, there's really no historical proof we have that the princess, either under that name or another name, uh, which I've seen other reports that say her name is Tisca Wanta. Okay. So, uh, or that she even existed at all. We have no proof because, again, people weren't really making records of such things yeah. at that time. So we're not so, really sure. But we do know that there are reports that Hugh Birdsall did exist. He was a okay. settler. At that time, who did live in that area. So, but we have no proof that there was any sort of romance with a, a Native American princess. Right, because the love letters. Yeah. So we, we don't have any of those. Pr- we have nothing of that. Pr- no, like, they're gone. They don't exist. Okay. Right, exactly. We have no historical proof of that. So what we do know is, in fact, that he did eventually leave America and went back to England where he would eventually marry someone. Oh, so, okay. So then the second story... It could be kind of true. So, again, this is the problem with legends is that legends are sometimes, I hate to say it like this because it's not the, they're sometimes like lies. There are right. exaggerations, but there is like the kernel of truth. So, we do know Hubert Saul did exist. He did live in America at a time and he would eventually go back to England where he would get married. So, and then she would have heard that he's dead. 
Right, and then and then she would have gone out of the betrayal. She would have drowned herself. So that so so that I kind of believe that one more than the yeah, first one. So now, and then so there is because if he's not there, then she could be like, oh, they they could be like, oh, he's not here, he's dead, and then right. she would like the heartache, and so, then I'm gonna go drown myself. So now. there was a book in 1967. It was called Heather Flower and Other Indian Stories of Long Island by uh, Vern Dyson. They told different versions of the same story. Okay, so they have one. Where there was a telling of a, um, I guess in the story, an unnamed North American maiden, um, or Native American native, who was sacrificed in the lake to please some sort of god. Okay. Which you know people. So this is a separate. This, this is this, uh, this is again another legend. Another version of said such story. Okay. Or there was a princess in the around the area, same tribe, who was betrothed and in love with a member of her tribe, who was then murdered. By a nameless settler on the eve of their wedding. Okay. So beside herself with anger and grief, she ties rocks to her ankles, then... rows out to the middle of the lake where she commits suicide by drowning. Oh, her God. body was never recovered, but the legend lives on. Now that one, to me, kind of ties into the, the this reported haunting of that because, uh, as I'm about to explain. So this... These legends are the basis for what is considered a quote-unquote curse upon the lake, that the spirit of this princess rises from the depths of the lake every year to drag one young man to his death. Oh. Right, exactly. This is almost like, as I was saying before, I feel like this is like a supernatural episode that we've probably already seen in the last 14 seasons. Right. Like, <laughs> Sam and Dean come out for a dip, and then suddenly, oh, shit, this, this, this lake is possessed. Get the salt. So it's like the maiden of the lake, but instead of a, a sword, yeah, she, it's like she lady takes of the lake instead of in taking instead of instead giving of, you a sword, she takes you, the take, she takes your life. Okay, okay. So now, now this could be seen as, and it's always a man, usually. Oh, okay. So either this <laughs> she'll could, take whoever. <laughs> yeah. So this could be seen as either as a replacement for her lost love or revenge against the loved one that's taken too soon. So there have been instances where locals have, re- have confirmed that drowning incidents have very frequently occurred at that lake, with some claiming that almost every year for the last 200 years or so, someone has drowned at Lake Ronkonkoma. And in many cases, like you said before, the victims were male. Hmm. There, was no, there was no range. Uh, like, you know, it's not like, oh, it's, you know, 15 or 24, you know. It's just and like... she's a- like, oh, nope, no, I'm not taking, you know, a 50-year-old man. Nope. So... <laughs> Now, She's like, you're a man. Come on now, down. Now, of course, it's hard to really research, you know, uh, death and like death at like, yeah, Ron drowned, Kampala, uh, yeah, 1950. Yeah, but there was um, there was a report that had a, a a gentleman whose name is Dr. David Igneri, who was the head lifeguard at Lake Ronkonkoma for over 32 summers, and he said that in his time being the head lifeguard, there were at least 30 deaths. At the time, thirty so years, thirty deaths. Yeah, with 30, 32. 32. So not every year did someone die, but it was frequent enough. Okay. And he claimed that there have been at least one hundred and sixty drownings at the lake between the mid eighteen hundreds nineteen seventies, averaging well over one a year. So he had one instance. It was in nineteen sixty five where he had this reoccurring nightmare, and this is this is where this might really freak you out a bit. So you might want to get that water out. But, um, <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. He had a reoccurring nightmare about having difficulty in, in attempting to complete a rescue. Now, as you know, in lakes, there's the same thing as a pool. The lifeguard is watching. If he sees there's someone in trouble, they are to go into the water and attempt to rescue to the best of their ability. Sometimes right. they're successful. Sometimes, sometimes they're not, not which is yeah. why they always have more than one 
one that is closer to the water, and then one in the watchtower. Yes, yes. So, or high chair, whatever you want to call it. Right. The point being is that... You got a man on the ground, basically. Yeah, and on top of it, at that, that time, Lake Ronkonkoma is a very popular tourist idea. It's, it's kind of like literally Jaws. <laughs> You know, I, I hate to say it, but just imagine. Except like, with a shark, you have a maiden. <laughs> Except with a shark, you have ghost girl. So, you know, it's, it's totally scarier idea. So, as I said, um, you know, he's having this nightmare of the difficulty in attempting to complete a rescue. So, again, it's like I said before, you have the lack of visibility in the lake after 10 feet, complete mm-hmm. and total darkness. So he remembers the dream of diving in the lake and panicking because he finds himself lost. And when he emerges from the water, all he hears is fireworks and he wakes up. Mm-hmm. So he keeps having this dream. It's a and recurring he, dream. It's a recurring dream. Okay. You know? And like he feels or believes that the dream is a premonition about the upcoming 4th of July weekend. And despite like his warning the staff that weekend, uh, he's like, guys, we have to be extra vigilant. They even hire extra staff to watch everything. Despite all that prep. A six foot, 15 year old boy has an epileptic seizure and goes down in the water that day. Mm. So they are able to recover the body, okay. which was taken away. Okay. Um, but wow. as he swam back to the shore after his last dive, after they recovered the body, he could hear fireworks in the background. Oh my God. And he's like, this is my fucking nightmare come true. Exactly. <gasps> so. Now, this this one is a little much, but I, again... I'm sorry I, for cursing everyone. It's okay. So this one was a little much because he actually claims that he survived an encounter with the lake's uh, possessive supernatural uh, suitor oh. in 2014, 2015. Now, he claims... No, right? this isn't the same... Same guy. Oh, same guy. Same guy. Oh, my God. So he claims one day... Oh, he, she tried to take him. Yeah. So one day he was swimming toward a local bar and grill that's on the edge of the lake. I believe it's called The Lighthouse. I'm not sure if it's still in business, but... But he said that when he got close to the area, because it is by the water, mm-hmm. he said he found himself uh, running in place. And I quote, and then I get picked up and then I get thrown back, he said. The legend does say that the princess dwells in the deep hole near the lighthouse. Now, the problem I have with that is just skepticism is that unless it is a place where there's been a lot of like, it's hard to say that's a focal point. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of imagine the lake is this entity's domain mm-hmm. so you know it's hard to really say a focal point because again like if that's the focal point you would kind of think wouldn't somebody try to see if, the, if there's a way you can okay, do so yeah yeah it's something mm-hmm. but it's hard especially when it's an entity tied to a to like a like a house is one thing but it's a living and like a lake it's a lot of ground to cover you it's can't true. it's hard to really kind of banish something that's tied to a living entity that's land Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little difficult. I mean, it's not possible. It's it's tough. So yeah, that's what he claims. Me, I was like that. If that's true, boy, you got lucky. Because a lot of people didn't. Um, uh, again, you know, all, all due respect, you know, to, to Doctor Ignari, you know, good congratulations on making it. I'm sorry, you know, because I remember this one account. There was this lady who was 72, who's a resident, and she she said she remember her uncle was a lifeguard for one day. <gasps> because on that day, he uh, there was a drowning. He he got right in the water. He found a body. Oh he didn't even, they didn't even realize someone was drowning. <gasps> so he was like, that was it. And um, they say the locals are very used to hearing helicopters hovering above the lake because to them that's the sound that you know someone's drowning. Someone, nope, they're lurking for a body. Oh my god! So you know these people are very 
used to this legend. But that's the problem is that a lot of the locals, some locals believe, as always, some locals think that this is just supernatural lore that's convenient for tourists, you know? it's Yeah, because when you think about it, like statistically speaking, it would make sense that you would have one drowning per year, especially with the amount of people that are constantly going there. Yeah. So I can see how you could easily explain right. that away. Right. But it's like every year? Yeah. And it's always men? Well, commonly men. And that's the point. Oh, do we know the statistics I, that, on how many men versus women? Not drown? really, but the thing being is, is that the hard thing, especially, is like a lot of people. Like, for example, I got a lot of my research here from the Lake Ronkonkoma Historical Society, and they support some of the legend, but they're not really fond of the the end where you're talking about this this supernatural maiden that's essentially killing men because mm-hmm. it's a very scary end. And, and, and again, when you're telling the legend to children. That's the last thing you want. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, that's the last thing you want to scare children with. Yeah, I'm like, oh, by the way, she also drowns a man every year because yeah. she's so mad. Exactly. Like, you know. yeah, you don't want to do that to the kids. I can see that. Exactly. I can see that. And then some people believe it's naturally they believe it's been to supernatural, quote unquote, hooey, you know? Mm. So it's, it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, this is the thing with supernatural things that are tied to legends. It's, it's about how much of it is true. Mm-hmm. How much of it isn't? It could be a completely separate matter that's not even related to this legend. Right. You know? Right. Um, so according to Suffolk County Police Department, the last person to drown in the lake was a female in 2017. Oh. But the department said that it only started breaking down uh, drowning statistics, specifically for Lake Ronkonkoma, starting in 2001. And since then, there was also a male who died in 2012 and another male in 2014. So as you see, like, it's been less consistent. But there's still death, mm-hmm. and a lot. And I feel like a lot of the times, either uh, they were able to recover the bodies, but I feel like sometimes they weren't able to recover the bodies. So how eerie is that? Thinking that deep in a in a very deep section, there are just skeletons oh, of bodies. You know, Ooh. I mean, literally, it's just a horror movie waiting. Yeah, to happen. yeah. and it's funny because um, you know there have been books. There's a mural. Um, Near the uh, near the lake, there's even a, a someone carved a, like a statue mm-hmm. of uh, the princess's likeness near the lake, oh. out of a tree bark. So like an, an attempt to appease her. Yeah, I guess? exactly. Okay. You know, and there's even like films that are trying. Like it's like I believe there's a film project. I recall like reading about it in the New York Times that they're trying to fund, but of course the town again is less enthusiastic. They don't want. They don't want it to bring that kind of attention to exactly. them. Exactly. I get it. Really I totally want to get it. Too much of that. So now the lake itself is off limits right now to swimmers because uh, there's a, an algae bloom. Oh. So yeah, so you 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 can't swim in that. Okay. According to a sign in the visitors parking lot. Now you brought the uh, the that it's not just men drowning and whatnot. And others claim that the legend doesn't just affect men, like or that they've claimed more women and children than men, or don't believe the legend at all. So so. Um, it's really hard to say what the extent is. You know, it's very tricky. But again, I will say, like, it's kind of like a, I, I bring up Camp Crystal Lake, but it's a strong legend mm-hmm. that hangs back. And, you know, the locals, for some part, have embraced it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but it, it's it's very spooky. I'm not going to lie. I had no idea. I mean, I wasn't going to swim there. You know, I love <laughs> exactly. like, nope. nope, no, so thank you. Not on, chancing that. On their uh, website, uh, that's again the Lake Ronkonkoma Historical Society. They have a poem or like a, a song lyric or something um, that's about the maiden in the lake. And I thought, oh 
yeah, read be, it, read it, read it. Yeah, I thought it might be a nice way to kind of wrap this up. Oh, cool. And then we'll get to your thing, which uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to be freaked out over. So it's called uh, Maiden in the Lake. So a legend tells the story of a pretty Indian maid who loved a handsome pale-faced lad, but marriage was forbade. Her father chose another mate, a fine, strong Indian brave. The Indian girl could not comply, so her life she gave. Ronkonkoma, Ronkonkoma, the lake of a sparkling water. Ronkonkoma, Ronkonkoma, where rests the Indian daughter. In summertime, the Indian girl will call out from the lake to lure below pale-faced lad she vowed that she would take. And so the legend ends of Indian maid with a lonely wail who lingers in the murky depths, but calls to no avail. Ronkonkoma, Ronkonkoma, the lake of sparkling water. Ronkonkoma, Ronkonkoma, where rests the Indian daughter. That's so sad. I'm like about mm. to cry. I know. It's, it's wow. Aww. So I, I mean, either legend is really sad because it, it involves a, either a princess or a maiden or mm-hmm. you know, like a a lovelorn yeah. young lady drowning and, herself or killing herself mm-hmm. or just like it's just again tragedy. But so, I'm wondering if okay, if it's true that there is right. a, a maiden in the lake drowning people, at one point. I'm pretty sure the souls or the spirits of those she pulled would try and be like, no, maybe we should try and stop her from. Well, it's hard because taking other people because you've seen situations like this. It's just um, in situations like that, especially we've seen supernatural movies and whatnot, when there's a very malevolent entity collecting souls like that, almost like harvesting them. Mm-hmm. It's hard to really say if it's just been. Uh, collecting them like they don't move on mm-hmm. or if it's just that's what they're bound to do mm-hmm. you know which is why the legend about you know um drowning in the lake about again men to, like, it's kind of like the sirens you know luring men to their grave yeah yeah kind of thing it's really hard to say um you know again like especially uh to all my research that i did uh special thank you to the long island press the patch the lake ronkonkoma historical society places like new york post new york times you know they've all referenced that it's a very sad story and and the locals especially in their effort to do the murals and the effigy and all that this is their way of kind of like you said trying to appease the spirit kind of saying like you know we sympathize with you we respect you you know uh, it's a kind of trying to just Almost like say please, like stop taking and please. and and find peace. Right, right. You know, right. and it's it's hard because a lot of the times, you know, when I've seen situations supernatural occurrences, a lot of it is linked to tragedy. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, violence, murder, bloodshed. You know, it it leaves an impression on things. And sometimes, you know, we've seen it in you know we've seen it in battlefields. We've seen it in houses. We've seen it in. And things like lakes and whatnot, you know, if enough death, if enough tragedy, it it lingers, mm-hmm. leaves an impression on things. And I think it's and that's the thing. What we're doing here, we're discussing it not as much as a as a as a thing to to Was scare you? you. Oh, that was you. Okay. To scare you. Yeah, I'm sorry. Just like whoa. <laughs> I was like, what oh, was that? oh, she's here. <laughs> um, this is this is this is to educate. Like, again, I had no idea about this, you know, and I've been in Long Island, like, more than a few times in, in, uh, 
in uh, my life. And I, I had absolutely no idea about this. So to me, I was like, wow, right. like it, it kind of, I mean, if I kind of, it kind of fleshes out a little bit more of the world. Like I was like, oh, wow. Like I'm like definitely like I was like, I would stop there. Just be like, I was here and I'm going to go, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, not even dip a toe. Just be like, nope, mm, nope. nope. She might grab my toe. No, exactly. I was like, nope, because then I'm like, I want to go for a swim. It's really hot. And then I'm like, and that was the last time we ever saw Drew. You know, so famous last. So words. that that was that's pretty much the story. So I don't, Danny. What what did you think? Like, it was really sad. It's it's really really sad, and I'm so sorry for her. And I hope some of the stuff that was done for her has appeased her, because it looked like. She's kind of eased off. Yeah, but it's really hard to say because, you know... Just, yeah, we don't really know. Yeah, you, again, you can leave as much tribute as you want. It's still, like, sometimes, mm. sometimes, especially when things are very negative, ghosts, like, they're sad. That's a lot like they're eternally sad or they yeah. are eternally angry or vicious. So I can see it either way. It's just a tragic maiden kind of filling up the void in her afterlife with... Mm-hmm. suitor of the year um or it's try a, you or it's an angry spirit that's getting revenge, revenge through yeah. lifetimes against you know that's why i kind of like that that uh story of where it was the the settlers mm-hmm. who killed her soon-to-be husband and she would just drown herself in the lake out of anger and grief to me i'm like that ex- would explain the revenge that, yeah yeah so it's hard to say again which one could be the real story i feel like because mm-hmm. it was so long ago before we really documented such things I feel like we may never know. Or care to document. Exactly. With the way that the, um, the settlers originally reacted to the natives, it wasn't mm-hmm. exactly a positive. I mean, they did trade and stuff like that, but they weren't exactly like, let's be BFFs. Let's, yeah. uh, the only know. time, the only reason we know of certain Native American uh, Americans through time is because they were linked to important events in, let's mm-hmm. say, European history. Exactly. Like Pocahontas was, 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 was Jamestown. Yeah. You had Squanto, um, the first Thanksgiving. These are all Native Americans that were tied to things. Mm-hmm. And we try focusing on those happiness, but a lot of the times their stories didn't end well because they were seen as inferior, mm-hmm. which, yeah, is just, which, is so which is just European uh, arrogance. Yeah, exactly. Which, unfortunately, I'd say, if you. we know American history, we kind of took it for them. <laughs> we're not going to go there because, you know, we'll let Andrew Jackson take that one. Um, so that was my story. So I guess, uh, Danny, I'm just going to keep sipping this this nice glass of water nice here. Glass and and Deliciousness. And, yep. And um, I guess... Let's get to your story. I'm I'm really interested to hear what you have to give. So my story, mm-hmm. my story. No, I'm kidding. Um, well, actually, I so last time, if you recall, yes. our killer Joel Rifkin mm-hmm. had a pissing contest in prison right. with another inmate. Now, correct me if I'm wrong on that, <laughs> but I believe Rifkin and, uh, um, and so the guy's name was Colin Ferguson. Yeah, both of them. Had, Not the comedian. The, the, this is his pissing contest over victims. Mm-hmm, the called. number of victims, that right? They and had. one of them was insisting he had a higher body count, mm-hmm. and the other one was like, "Well, uh, sir, yeah, you might have bigger numbers, but most of yours are women, so that doesn't count." It's exactly. Like, it's exactly. You had like seven women. That's one kill. Okay. <laughs> That's like. literally, that's literally exactly how it went, which, you know, like these guys, they're so out of their minds that this is. That, that's clearly a sign of like, like it's like, it's like imbalance. my car is bigger than yours. No, I have more murders than you. Yeah, like, that's like, oh, how it, imbalanced it's If this car is like, well, my trunk space is bigger to hide more bodies. Like, like, <laughs> it's in, yeah. so that shows you how insane. 
insane these people mm-hmm. are. And right. I said last time, I'm going to do him. Not do him. I'm going to do a story about him. Oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. We're running a professional thing. We're not doing fan service to murderers. <laughs> Absolutely not. I would mm-hmm. never in a million yeah, yeah. years. Yeah, no. so continue. I was going to do his story, but I actually found a different story that I wanted to do way more. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to put him in as a little footnote for our listeners to okay. say what he did exactly. Okay. It's got, you know. So Colin Ferguson so is... If, I'm sorry to interrupt. So if he was a... Ser- there was a serial killer, like, baseball card. This would be his stats in the back. <laughs> yeah, this is his stats okay. in the back. Okay. God, that's horrible. It's so horrible. Um, so this story was way more interesting. I'll tell you who this, this person yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but Colin Ferguson, uh-huh. um, on December 7th, 1993, yeah. uh, a Long Island Railroad train pulled into Maryland Avenue Station okay. in Garden City, New York. Okay. When Colin Ferguson, a passenger, mm. pulled out a 9mm pistol and started firing at other passengers. Oh, wow. He murdered six people and wounded 19 others before being stopped by other passengers. Jeez. So... Ferguson's trial was notable for a number of unusual developments, including his firing his defense counsel and insisting on representing himself and questioning his own victims on the stand. Like, there was, like, so much. Yes. (laughs) That's why we're not going to do this guy. He clearly is going to want the attention, so we're just going to. Yeah, we just, we, Colin, if you're listening to this, we gave you, like, five minutes. (laughs) Okay, that's good to know. Like, I'm, I'm. If any of our listeners definitely do want to hear the full story, let us know. But like, otherwise, this—that's all he's getting yeah, right that's, now. That's a detour. We—that's a that's, that's a, like a murdering gas station that we just filled up and we gone. <laughs> we're like, like nope, nope, uh, <laughs> uh, we don't need any chips or salsa. We do not need any sort of filling up. We, we are, are good. We are so good. With, so with that in mind, so we, we, we've we left Murderville. We've left Murderville. Mur- now but we're, we're going, going into, somewhere else. But we're going to another Murderville. <laughs> All right. S- slasher Sorry, town. it's true crime. Okay. It's Slasher Town. Um, actually, it might be. It's mm-hmm. actually like Slasher Beach more okay. so. So the it's the Gilgo Killer. So he goes by the Long Island Serial Killer. Okay. L-I-S-K. Okay. Long Island Serial Killer. Right. The Gilgo Killer, the Gilgo Beach Killer, the Seashore Serial Killer, or the Craigslist Ripper. Okay. This guy goes by many names, and yet he has none himself. I just kind of wonder, like, the way they identify him is that he had a particular kind of sand in his shorts, because it's just like when you're saying you're going off these beaches, I'm like, is this? A it's case all of, one real beach. I'm just saying, like, is this? It's not. She sells seashells down by the, by the seashore. <laughs> like, it's not that kind of thing. The thing is, well, I'll get to why he's called that. But do you also notice we both did stories that are near bodies of water? I feel yes. like literally this yes. is perfect for the upcoming holiday season because I'm just like, guys, just stay home. Just stay home. Stay Don't home. go to the we're, beach. We're going to make you afraid. Go of, inside your safe pool gonna, where you can see the bottom. We're going to make you afraid of rivers next. Like, we'll probably find a story about haunted canoes. <laughs> right. You know, and and, uh, and whatnot. But I'm sorry. So you were saying. So, so yes. Yeah, beach so killer. The Gilgo killer. The Gilgo beach killer. Whatever mm. you want to call him. He's actually an unidentified 
suspected serial killer. Okay. Who is believed to have murdered 10 to 16 people associated with prostitution over a period of nearly 20 years. My God. Dumped their bodies along the Ocean Parkway. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, Parkway. Near the remote Long Island, New York beach towns of Gilgo and Oak Beach okay. in Suffolk County Jeez. and the area of Jones Beach State Park in Nassau County. Oh so there's just... Wow. So on December 11th, 2010, okay. this is nine years ago, wow. a Suffolk police officer and cadaver dog were conducting a routine exercise and searching for a missing person. Her okay. name is Shannon Gilbert. Jeez. When they found a woman's body several feet north of the Ocean Parkway in Gilgo Beach. Two days later, okay. they found another body. And then another body. And then another body. So this was some sort of dumping ground? Yes. Okay. So by April 2011, about a year later, authorities had found a total of 10 sets of remains in the area. So not full bodies. Pieces. Not full bodies. Exactly. Okay. Shannon herself, the woman that they were originally looking for, was found in December of 2011. So a few months, you know. Mm -hmm. Was she also one of the victims? Okay. I'll get into that okay. because it's disputed. Okay. All right. So though her disappearance prompted the initial search, mm -hmm. police said Shannon's cause of death was undetermined and not tied to the other bodies. Mm -hmm. I'll get into that later. Okay. So the discovery of the initial four Gilgo Beach bodies yeah. sparked a massive interagency inter search mm -hmm. that spanned several miles. Okay. FBI profilers based out of the Behavioral Analysis Unit of the Bureau's National Center for the Analysis of Violent Crime. Oh, uh, it's it's just like the Bureau to name something so boring. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> your taxpayers' dollars at work, kids. <laughs> they had a meeting on this, on how to name this. And so out of Quantico, Virginia, assisted mm. Suffolk police in coming up with a possible profile for the killer. Okay. So a law enforcement source who is familiar with the case, but asked not to be identified in, in this paper. I believe it was the Long Island um, Press. Okay. Thanks, you guys. Um, said when Suffolk investigators met with them, the group theorized that the killer is perhaps a white male who has a family. It could be anyone on Long Island. Exactly. It's literally like 90% of Long Island. Yeah. That, <laughs> like, okay. Like, way to go, guys. Yeah. So the investigation has endured one of the most high-profile cases on Long Island mm -hmm. and has been the subject of a novel called Lost Girls, an Unsolved American Mystery, written by Robert Kolker. Okay. A Netflix movie of the same name. Okay. A true crime thriller. Uh, I believe it was like called The Killing Season. It was hard to track down exactly mm -hmm. what the true crime thriller was. And a 48 hours investigation. Oh, wow. So authorities have released very few, if any at all, new details on the case. And the families of the women found have grown <sighs> frustrated with the lack of new information. But I'm sure there's a reason for that. Okay. There's no, there's, mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's also some inter... We'll get, I'll get into so that. So the real difference from the first case we discussed on our first episode... Yo, check that out if you haven't already. Mm -hmm. uh, um, is that your uh, Rifkin... It was mm -hmm. your, your, I guess I say that, your first killer. My first killer. Um, we knew, he, he confessed. Yes. Yes, he confessed. So in some way, this killer that you're describing now, this this beach Gilgot killer. Gilgo, yeah. Was never, nope. was, has yet to be caught. Yep. He's still technically out there. 
And they're not sure if it's even one killer. Right. It could be. It could be a person and accomplice. Three. Yeah, exactly. Again, it could it's Saw all over again. It wasn't just Jigsaw. It was also his apprentice, <laughs> and then the lady who followed his tracks, and then the guy he saved in the first movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah so my point being is that that this could this might not just be a, the act of one person. It could be a team. Yes. So that's even more frightening because even worse. If yeah, anything, yeah. was it? It's like Texas Chainsaw. It's not just Leatherface. It's a family of killers. Yes, like stuff like that, basically. Wow. Okay. But at the same time, based on who the victims were, the FBI profilers were like, "Well, it has to be a male." Oh, yes, because women can't kill other women. Clearly not. Clearly not. Well, actually, women's preferable choice of murder is usually poison. When they murder people. So it wouldn't be like this. That makes sense. I don't know if you ever remember, but you remember Napoleon Bonaparte? You know, the famous French dictator? Yes. Yeah. Funny enough, uh, they have, um, you know how in photos he was always clutching his stomach? Yes. They have a theory that his longtime girlfriend, Josephine, was slowly poisoning him with Uh, arsenic. That makes sense. Yeah. So, eh, supporting your theory. (laughs) So No, it's very, it's very true. Um, Oh, wow. I'm sorry, everyone. I studied psychology once upon a time. <laughs> it's all right. And I studied history once upon a time. Ironically, probably at the same school. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> and we probably graduated at the same time. No, I think you graduated mm. one year early. So by the time we were both already out of college, uh, the police in Long Island were already discovering <laughs> bodies. So. Actually, yes, because this was 2010. This was a year after... I graduated college. Mm-hmm. And this was also a year after I graduated, 2009, I graduated college. Yeah. Yeah. But re- regardless of the point. Anyway. So the fact being is that that's the real scary thing is that this person, person, persons, this entity, whatever. Had been killing already. Is technically has never been caught. He's no. St- he, it is still out there. Yes. Okay. So he or she, he but or she. most likely he because of the manner of yeah. killing. Wow. So it's a weed and garbage choked terrain. And it complicated police officers' search for the victims. Mm -hmm. Officers had to use ladder trucks to peer down over the area because it was dense with bramble and brush. Mm -hmm. And with such limited visibility on foot, a searcher who was already having trouble finding a clear spot to place his boot would have to all but stumble on a body in order to discover it. The area where the remains were found not only made it difficult for humans, but frustrated the Suffolk Police Department's cadaver dogs as well. Right. So the then uh, chief of detectives, Dominic Verone, said in April 2011, they don't like getting smacked in the face with the bramble. We learned that. We learned from that that we can't rely entirely on the dogs. Yeah. So uh, poor puppies. But they were good boy. Good boy. Um, officers did not find all of the remains in one area. Scattered. Police first discovered the remains of four women in December 2010. Right. right? Two victims' torsos were found in Manorville in the early 2000s. Okay. Authorities later found one of the women's head, hands, and forearm, and the other woman's head, hands, and right foot along Ocean Parkway in 2011. A third woman's legs were found on Fire Island in 1996, and her skull was located near Jones Beach on April 11, 2011. So we're like connecting from different time periods, body parts found. And and we believe that this is the same person, same MO. So what you're saying essentially is that this is somebody who could have been murdering for 20, 25 years, and they just... 
basically stumbled upon his stash mm-hmm. within the last decade mm-hmm. or so. So, mm-hmm. and so DNA analysis uh, was delayed at first as numerous tests were needed to 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 be had because mm-hmm. the human remains were incomplete right. and put combined because right. it's more than one victim together. So the same chief uh, from earlier said in May 2011 that it's just going to take longer to identify and even like put together who these pieces right. all belong to. And, and you have to wonder is that is that was the the random like w- the way that it happened was that by design mm-hmm. meant to frustrate and complicate the process or was that just the act of a of a very hurried or eccentric um, serial killer. I believe it was by design. Yeah, because if you think about it, like a lot of the times, you know, like with Rifkin, his, his the bodies were always dumped together. We were able to identify who they were, mm-hmm. you know. But he split like the head. He yeah. would like burn the, the fingernail or yeah. like cut the fingernails, right. pull the teeth, Again, you know. Me- he would try to do there different was, locations. Right. Usually what it is is that there's a method. It's never like very amateurs do it very quickly and they they let panic and fear Mm -hmm. serial killers. These are people who they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. This is methodical. This is very precision. Oh, they've planned this for a long time. Yeah, this is this is well planned. And I I agree with you. I feel like this is by design because like this is also someone who is aware of the process. Mm -hmm. And it's not I'm not just thinking someone who's like, oh, I watch CSI. I know how this stuff works. (laughs) This sounds like someone who's aware of how such things work. So it could be someone who's um, maybe uh, well-educated, possibly uh, maybe a former, um, maybe a, someone who worked in law enforcement, you know, someone who knows... Not the, necessarily, though. No, I'm saying like it could be something like yes. that. Yeah, it or could. it could be just be someone who, again, like you just said, planned this out. Which usually the is the case. They do just plan. They do mm-hmm. a lot of research. Yeah. They do a lot of... Basically, like enough research to be a police officer or a detective themselves, yeah. and then okay. they just... So then... So the and so the longer the case goes unsolved, the harder obviously it is for detectives to connect all the dots and find or one or more of the killers. Mm-hmm. So an expert homicide investigator retired from the NYPD, Vernon Giberth. I'm so sorry if I mispronounce your name. Um, time does complicate things. People's memories fades, relationships fade, and in this case, you now have to get back to gals murdered um old school timey talk apparently (laughs) and find out who knew them and what other clues were there that might have been missed right so the disagreement over the number of killers right so here the players are suffolk police commissioner the then at the time suffolk police commissioner richard dormer Uh um suffolk county district attorney thomas spoda Mm. So, Richard Dormer, Commissioner Dormer, we'll call him Commissioner Dormer, left office in December of 2011. Okay. He and the DA, Spoda, presented contradictory theories at a legislative session about the number of killers in the Gilgo case. Okay. Commissioner Dormer reiterated his theory about a single killer, and DA um, Thomas Spoda openly criticized him, standing by his theory that there were at least three killers. Commissioner Dormer left the hearing before D.A. Spoda spoke and would not comment afterwards. But days later, D.A. Spoda had a lot to say about Commissioner Dormer. Mm -hmm. Quote, 
Surely the homicide detectives and the prosecutors are going to be challenged by any decent defense attorney, he okay. said. That's why we try to keep these theories to ourselves. Mm-hmm. After the hearing, um, uh, the newly elected Suffolk County executive Steve Ballone said he would move quickly to stabilize a police department that had become, quote, in some ways dysfunctional. Okay. He named uh, Mr. Edward Weber uh, as Suffolk Police's chief of support. He he made him interim police commissioner after yeah. Commissioner Dormer left. Um, and um, the executive, the county executive, Steve Ballone, mm-hmm. said, if you have the most high-profile case the department has had to deal with in years, maybe ever... And the district attorney's office and the police department are not effectively working together on that. Mm-hmm. What's happening with all the other cases that don't get any media attention, that are just below the surface but affect real people? Mm-hmm. So at a December 2015 press conference, police would not address questions about serial killer theories okay. at all. So that So internally, might be one person, might be more than one person. We're not sure what their theories are at this point. The little problem being now is that that, again, works in the def- to the advantage of the killer because now you have, you know, the public is going to be more concerned with the fact that you have the commissioner and you have, uh, was it DA or The DA, chief? yeah. The, the, the DA arguing almost in public about, about this whole situation. And again, all you're doing is like... You're helping the killer at that. You're point. helping the killer because you're just you're you're continuing the fear. Mm-hmm. You're you're even less further from the truth than you realize, and you're not making any progress. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, again, you can't say like, oh well, we have no idea, we have no leads. You know, the person could be out there for all we know. So you know, uh, don't don't go out <laughs> after nine. You know, you can't you can't right? you can't impose that kind of thing that you know you see in movies all the time. But you know, and well. That, so it's not even, but the thing is because this guy also went after prostitutes. Yeah. So it's like, you know, uh, I'm sorry. I'm about to get into another list. So I'm just going to give fine. a fair warning to you and our listeners. Um, if the list last time was hard on you, feel free to kind of like skip ahead to our listeners. Mm-hmm. If it's too heavy for you, I don't, I'm not, my intent isn't to like, make you depressed for the rest of the week it's just, this is just or your life the curse of being thorough is that exactly you know, you know. like i just want to make sure that they get their time because they didn't have it yeah they, they, they weren't given it yeah okay so, so I'm ready. of the 10 bodies or sets of remains found since 2010 mm-hmm. the four discovered in december of 2010 have been identified as missing sex workers who all advertise their services on craigslist which is okay. where the craigslist thing comes in right they had all been strangled okay. and their bodies wrapped in burlap sacks before being dumped along Gilgo Beach. Okay. All are believed to have been killed elsewhere. Okay. Which makes sense for a serial killer. Usually it happens. Off-site. Just like Joel Rifkin killed at his house and then dumped the body elsewhere. Yeah. So the first victim identified was Melissa Barthelemy. She mm-hmm. was 24. She worked as a hairdresser in Buffalo before moving to New York City in 2007 where she rented a basement apartment in the Bronx. She went missing on July 10th, 2009. She had been working as an escort through Craigslist. On the night she went missing, she met with a client, deposited $900 in her bank account, and attempted to call an old boyfriend, but did not get through. Okay. 
Beginning one week after her disappearance and lasting for five weeks, her teenage sister, Amanda, received a series of, quote, vulgar, mocking, and insulting calls from someone who may have been the killer using her sister's cell phone. Jeez. The caller spoke in a low, calm voice mm-hmm. and asked if Amanda, quote, was a whore like her sister. Jeez. The calls became increasingly disturbing and eventually culminated, culminated in the caller telling Amanda that Melissa was dead and he was going to watch her rot. Police were able to trace some of the calls, because this is 2010, right? 2007, 2009. Police were able to trace some of the calls to Madison Square Garden, Midtown Manhattan, and Massapequa, but were unable to determine who was making the calls. Melissa's mother also noted that there were a lot of calls from Manor, or a lot of calls to Manorville from Melissa's phone around the time of her disappearance. And Manorville, as we know, is where they started finding all the parts of the bodies. So her body was the first found on Ocean Parkway on December 11th, 2010, during the search for Shannon Gilbert. The second victim is Megan Waterman, who was 22. She is either of Scarborough or South Portland, Maine. It was inconsistent I had several articles that say she was from Scarborough. I had another say she was from South Portland. She's mm. definitely from Maine. Right. Um, but if Can't anyone knows, sure. let us know. Right. She had a young daughter at the time. Mm-hmm. And according to her mother, after dropping out of high school, Megan worked in delis and sandwich shops. And she met Akeem Cruz at a dance club in Portland, Maine in the spring of 2009. And they dated. A few months later, Megan began working as a prostitute. She was last seen leaving a Haupaug Hotel on June 6, 2010, after placing advertisements on Craigslist as an escort and after traveling to Long Island with boyfriend Akeem, who also acted as her pimp, police said. Hmm. Her body was among the three sets of remains found on December 13, 2010. According to Megan's friends, just days before her disappearance, Megan said Akeem wanted her to stop working as a prostitute and that the two would start a family. The day before, she told her 20-year-old boyfriend that she was going out and would call him later. At the time of her disappearance, she was staying at a motel in Haupaug, New York, Mm -hmm. 15 miles northeast of Gilgo Beach. The third victim is Amberlyn Costello. Amberlynn, unfortunately, grew up quickly, marrying and divorcing twice by the time she was 27. She developed a drug habit early in life, Mm -hmm. according to her ex-husbands. Amberlynn grew up in North Carolina, in Rocky Point and Wilmington. She married her first husband, Michael Wilhelm, Wilhelm, I'm sorry, after they met at a local beach. A whirlwind romance, he said, that soured when he discovered her heroin addiction. Sometime after she divorced her second husband, Don Costello, Amber moved to Long Island. Her sister, Kimberly Overstreet, lived in Lindenhurst. Excuse me. She was last seen alive on September 2nd, 2010 in North Babylon, where she rented an apartment. On the night she disappeared, she went to meet a stranger who called her several times and offered 
$1,500 for her services. Wow. As of 2012, Costello's sister, Kimberly, a call girl, has vowed to use the same Craigslist booking system as her sister in an effort to lure the killer. Um, Amberlynn's body was among those found on the December 13, right. yeah. Maureen Brainerd Barnes was named after her grandmother. Um, a friend said she was very outgoing and she had so much energy. Um, Maureen was 25 years. She um, oh, right, grew up in Norwich and attended Fitch High School, which is in Connecticut, and was last seen alive in Manhattan on July 9th, 2007, police mm. said. Her family suspected she was dead when she didn't show up for her brother's funeral, friend Sarah Marquis said. Maureen had a young son, Dylan. She also had a, a daughter, um, Nicolette, and the children lived with their fathers. She wasn't found until December 13th, 2010, when police located her remains by Ocean Beach Parkway with the others. Right. Police believed the killer left her body in Gilgo Beach shortly after she disappeared. Maureen was a struggling mother, worked as a paid escort off Craigslist mm -hmm. to pay the mortgage on her house. But after successfully leaving the sex industry for seven months, Maureen eventually returned to, to the work quote unquote, in order to pay her bills after receiving an eviction notice. Shortly after her disappearance, a friend of Maureen's, Sarah Carnes or Carnes, received a call from a man on an unfamiliar number. The man claimed that he had just seen Maureen and that she was alive and staying at a quote whorehouse in Queens. He refused to identify himself and could not tell Sarah Carnes the location of the whorehouse. He told Sarah he would call her back and give her the address, but he never called again. Hera has, uh, Sarah has stated that the man she spoke to had no discernible New York or Boston accent. <sighs> Jessica Taylor came from a small town in upstate New York and was estranged. Oh, geez, what just happened? And was estranged from her family. She had been arrested on prostitution charges in Washington, Atlantic City, and New York City. She was just 20 years old. Wow. She had a tattoo on her back, wore hoop earrings, and moved on, and had moved on to Washington, D.C. after her release from Rikers Island Jail. But then she returned. On July 26, 2003, after she was seen working as a prostitute on the streets near the Port Authority bus terminal in Manhattan, mm. her nude torso was found in the woods in Manorville, near the Long Island Expressway. Wow. A woman walking her dog came across Jessica's butchered remains on a pile of branches. Wow. Her naked and dismembered torso, missing its head and hands, was discovered 45 miles east of Gilgo Beach in Manorville, New York. These remains were identified by DNA analysis later. Taylor's torso was found atop a pile of scrap wood at the end of... Um, it's at the end of a paved access road off of Halsley Manor Road, mm -hmm. just north of where it crosses the Long Island Expressway, mm -hmm. for y'all who live there, in case you're creepily interested in that information. Plastic sheeting was found underneath the torso, and the tattoo on her body had been mutilated with a sharp instrument. Mm -hmm. 
Jessica's tr- killer had tried to scrape off the tattoo from her lower back. That makes basically, sense. It would have yeah. been a way to identify her. Yeah. Basically, and that's literally what helped the police make their identification of who she was, the tattoo. And he was trying to stop that from happening. But I guess he maybe he was rushed, thankfully. I think, uh, again, you know, he already removed the head and the hands. And again, you said torso. So mm-hmm. I assume that probably her feet or legs or oh yeah, wouldn't be there, too. So, you know, but again, it's on her back. Yeah. And again, there are databases now that have you know, records of tattoos and whatnot. So. Yes, especially when she was already arrested previously. Yeah, so she would have a record, and mm-hmm. on the record, it would, on her, on her, um, her, uh, her, her words, for her record, it would have that such a tattoo, and there would be photographic evidence of that. Yeah, exactly, so. exactly. Which, so, thankfully, he wasn't able to get rid of it, so they could identify her. Yeah, which is good for her family mm-hmm. and we're not to know, but at the same time, it wasn't, like you said, it wasn't in any way helpful in identifying who did that. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. continue. So, then on March 2011, uh, her head, hands, and forearm were discovered in the brush brush along Ocean Parkway, about a mile east of where the original Gilgo bodies were found. Mm-hmm. So, then we have Jane Doe. Unidentified Asian male. He is either between the ages of 17 to 23 years old, 5 feet 6 inches tall, with close cropped hair. Mm-hmm. He, was find, he was found just east of the original bodies on April 4th, 2011. Police said the man was missing uh, top and bottom molars and a front upper tooth. He was dressed in women's clothing and was dead five to ten years in september 2011 police released a composite sketch of the victim and stated that he had likely been working as a prostitute and was wearing women's clothing at the time of his death he is believed to have lived as a woman perhaps being killed when the killer found out he wasn't female and to have had some kind of musculoskeletal skeletal musculoskeletal disorder which would have affected his gait okay so these are just basically like help us identify this person if you know who he is this is what yeah yeah uh we have jane doe six after because when they all found the bodies they were named jane doe one jane doe two jane doe three so now that the others have been identified this one is number six still unidentified of course So after an unidentified white woman's torso was found in the woods in Manorville in 2000, police discovered her head, hands, and right foot on April 4th, 2011, Mm -hmm. a year later, near Cedar Beach. Mm -hmm. Police say the woman, 18 to 35 years old, 5 feet 2 inches tall, with straight shoulder-length hair, high cheekbones, and a prominent jawline, May have been work may have worked as a prostitute in New York City in the late summer or fall of 2000. Authorities think her killing may be related to that of Jessica Taylor. Okay. And um, <clears throat> excuse me, the victim's torso was found wrapped in garbage bags and dumped in the woods near the intersection of Halsley Manor Road and Mill Road, adjacent to a set of power lines and a nearby power line access road. Mm-hmm. Her right foot had been cut off above, high uh, high above the ankle, like yeah, yeah, like mid, mm. um, p- 
possibly to conceal an identifying mark or tattoo. Okay. The dismembered remains of Jessica Taylor and Jane Doe number six were both disposed of in a similar manner and in the same town, suggesting a link. Right. Jane Doe number three, also called Peaches, um, unidentified, obviously, turned up 15 years and more than 20, file, 20 miles apart. Her remains turned up 15 yeah. years and more than 20 miles apart along Ocean Parkway. Okay. So on June 28, 1997, the dismembered torso of an unidentified young African-American female was found at Hempstead Lake State Park in the town of Lakeview, New York. The torso was found in a green plastic Rubbermaid container, which, dumped, which was dumped next to a road along the west side of the lake. Investigators reported that the victim had a tattoo of a heart-shaped peach, hence the peaches, mm -hmm. with a bite out of it and two drips falling from its core on her left breast. Then on April 11, 2011, police in Nassau County discovered dismembered skeletal human remains inside a plastic bag near Jones Beach State Park, nicknamed Jane Doe Number 3. DNA analysis identified this victim as the mother of Baby Doe, I'll get to her, she was found wearing similar jewelry to Baby Doe. On December 2016, Peaches and Jane Doe number three were positively identified as being the same individual. Okay. Hence why she has like two different right. names. Baby Doe, the third body found on April 4th, about 250 feet away from the partial remains of Jane Doe number six earlier, mm -hmm. the one with Jessica. Yeah was that of a female toddler oh my God. between 16 and 24 months of age. Wow. The body was wrapped in a blanket and showed no signs of visible trauma. DNA tests determined that the child's mother was Jane Doe number three, or Peaches, right. whose um, body was found 10 miles east near Jones Beach State Park. She was reported to be non-Caucasian okay. and was wearing earrings and a necklace. Jane Doe number seven, also on April 11th at nearby Tubay Beach, a separate human skull and several teeth were discovered. These remains were linked by DNA testing to a set of severed legs found in a garbage bag on Fire Island in April 20th, 1996. The victim had a surgical scar on her left leg. And then we have other possible victims. So remember Shannon Maria Gilbert? Yes. She went missing. They were looking for her. She worked as an escort who may have been a victim of the Long Island serial killer. She left for a client's resident, residence in Oak Beach after midnight on May 1st, 2010. At 4.51 in the morning, 911 dispatchers received a panicked call, phone call from Gilbert, who can be heard saying that there was someone after her and that they were trying to kill her. She was last seen a short time later, banging at the front door of a nearby Oak Beach residence and screaming for help before running off into the night. After 19 months of searching, police found Gilbert's remains in a marsh half a mile away from where she was last seen. In May 2012, the Suffolk County medical examiners ruled that Shannon, Shannon drowned while she ran through the marsh in a drug-induced panic, ruling her death as death by misadventure, which, like, 
Is that even a thing? Death by misadventure. Anyway. Or inconclusive, quote unquote. Mm. Her family obviously believes she was murdered. On November 15th, 2012, a lawsuit filed by Mary Gilbert, Shannon's mother, Mm. against the Suffolk County Police Department in the hopes of getting more answers about what happened to her daughter the night she went missing. Mm -hmm. Due to the controversy surrounding the cause of Gilbert's death, Shannon's death, in September 2014, famed forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Baden agreed to conduct an independent autopsy of Shannon Gilbert's remains in hopes of determining a clear cause of death. Upon examination of Shannon's remains, Dr. Baden found damage to her hyoid bone, suggesting that strangulation may have occurred. Mm. Dr. Baden also noted that her body was found face up, which is not common for drowning victims. Despite this, her death is still officially listed as an accident. On July 23rd, 2016, Shannon's mother, Mary Gilbert, was murdered in her home in Ellenville, New York, which is like just more tragedy on this family. Right. So now mom and daughter. Mom and daughter are both dead. Later that day, Shannon's younger sister, Sarah Elizabeth Gilbert, was arrested and charged with the murder of her mother and was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. Wow. So this this is just so so much tragedy on this family. But officially, Shannon is listed as accidental, not connected. But you're running around at 5 o'clock in the morning screaming for help. Please call 911. You... It's drugs. We're just going to say it's drugs. Okay. I'm sorry. That's my own personal opinion on that I mean, matter. <laughs> I mean, hey, it's the same thing. Like, do you remember my case last uh, last time? You know, we had those two serving girls and yes. running mid, like 2, 3 a.m. in the night screaming that, oh, yes, the, uh, someone's murdering my uh, my master and mistress in uh, in our house. You need to come help. Like, are there, oh, no. Shoot. Your Irish servant girls <laughs> exactly. clearly drunk. You're clearly Go back home dr- and sleep it off, sweetie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. If that had happened, that's basically what's. Yeah, it, I think that's what's happening. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is totally unrelated. So another possible victim is 19-year-old Tina Foglia, who was last seen in the early morning hours of uh, February 1st, 1982, at a rock music venue in West Islip. Mm -hmm. She was a known hitchhiker. Her dismembered body was discovered by Department of Transportation workers on February 3rd, two days later. Mm -hmm. uh, along Along the shoulder of the Southern State Parkway. Her remains were placed in three separate plastic garbage ga- garbage bags and were found a few miles north of the Robert Moses Causeway, which leads to Gilgo Beach and Oak Beach. Mm-hmm. A diamond ring that Foglia was known to wear was missing, and the DNA of an unknown male was found on the garbage bags. Police have not ruled out the possibility that Tina Foglia was an early victim of the Long Island serial killer. So we may have DNA. May. Me, or it could be completely unrelated. So on March 3rd, 2007, a suitcase containing the dismembered torso of an unidentified Hispanic or light-skinned African-American female washed up on a beach at Harbor Island Park in the town of Mamaroneck. 
The victim had a tattoo of two cherries on her left breast and was similar in appearance uh, that was similar in appearance to the tattoo found on peaches mm. and was determined to have been stabbed to death. She's never been identified. The victim also referred to as cherries, surprise, by investigators. Mm-hmm. One of her dismembered legs washed up at Cold Spring Harbor on March 21st. <clears throat> Excuse me. Her other leg washed up at Oyster Bay in the village of Cove Neck the following day. Okay. Cherries was dismembered in a fashion similar to that of Jessica Taylor, Peaches, and Jane Doe number 6. Meaning she may possibly be linked to other, the other official victims. But because she wasn't found right. there, they're not quite connecting it just yet. Oh, we're, there's there's more. Of course. On May 17th, 2011, the New York Post reported that Long Island police were revisiting other similar unsolved murders of prostitutes. Named in the article was Tanya Rush, who was 39, a mother of three from Brooklyn, whose dismembered body was found in a small suitcase in June 2008 on the shoulder of the Southern State Parkway in Belmore, New York. Mm-hmm. On January 23rd, 2013, a woman walking her dog found human remains intentionally buried in a small piece of brush in a sandy area along the shore at the end of Sheep Lane in Lettington Town near Oyster Bay. Good Lord. The remains are believed to be of a woman between the ages of 20 and 30, possibly Asian. She was wearing 22 karat gold, uh, a 22 karat gold pig pendant which may be a reference to some Asian Asian cultures to the year of the pig. Right. This leads to some believe that she died at the age of 29 because it's in 12-year increments, so the year of the pig. There was a trauma caused to her bones. Um, Investigators believe she was buried before Hurricane Sandy hit in late 2012. Her case may be connected to the other 10 bodies found 32 miles away and around Gilgo Beach. On March 16, 2013, a 31-year-old woman later identified as Natasha Hugo, or Jugo, I'm sorry, it's a J. Um, I don't know if it's... Mm-hmm. Was last seen leaving her home near Alley Pond Park, Queens. Her car was found along Ocean Parkway, and some of her clothes and belongings were found in the sand near Gilgo Beach the following day. Jugo or Hugo was described as five feet seven inches tall, 120 pounds, with brown eyes and blonde hair. She was last seen wearing a black robe, pink pajamas, gray hooded sweatshirt, black coat, and black boots. Police are not sure whether the case is connected to the victims of the Long Island serial killer. Uh, Hugo's family mentioned that she had a history of problems in which she thought people were following her. On June 24th, 2013, Hugo's body was washed up on Gilgo Beach. So now on to the possible suspects. After that really depressing list, deepest respect and our deepest condolences to the families. Seriously. So there has been much speculation in the media concerning the identity of the killer, currently known as UNSUB, which stands for Unknown Subject. It has been suggested that the serial killer is most likely a white male in his mid-20s to mid-40s who is very familiar with the south shore of Long Island, has access to burlap sacks, 
which he uses to contain the bodies. He may have a detailed knowledge of law enforcement techniques, like you were saying, possible police officer or retired. Perhaps he even has ties to law enforcement, which have thus far helped him avoid detection. Some have speculated that serial killer and former Long Island resident Joel Rifkin, episode one, may have been responsible for some of the older remains found in March and April 2011, as four of the victims' bodies were never found. Right. In an April 2011 prison interview with Newsday, Rifkin denied having anything to do with recently discovered remains. Okay. Which, I don't know. Could he? Couldn't he? Sometimes even the most wicked people can still tell the truth. That's true. That's true. So a possible victim is James Burke. Who is James Burke? On December 15th, 2016, the attorney for Shannon Gilbert's family said there was a connection between former Suffolk County Police Chief James Burke and the murders. Okay. It was rumored that James frequently engaged with prostitutes And one escort came forward claiming that she had, quote, rough sex with Burke during an Oak Beach party during which she was choked. It was also revealed that Burke intentionally blocked an FBI probe of the Long Island serial killer case during his time as police chief. Okay. In November 2016, Burke was sentenced to 46 months in federal prison along with three years of supervised release for beating of a man who stole a duffel bag filled with sex toys and pornography from his vehicle. Burke pleaded guilty in federal in February to a civil rights violation and conspiracy to obstruct justice. Quote unquote. Okay. So possible cop. John Bitrolf. Bit Bitrolf. Uh I, I, I'm fine. sorry. You're sorry. <laughs> Names are hard, y'all. A Suffolk County resident who was convicted of the murders of two prostitutes in 1993 and 1994 and is suspected in the murder of a third woman from that time period was named as a suspect in at least one of the Long Island serial killer murders in September 12, 2017. Mm-hmm. Suffolk County prosecutor Robert Biancavilla released a statement noting that John was likely responsible for the deaths of other women and that there were similarities between the Gilgo Beach crime scenes and John Bitrolf's known murders. Bitrolf was linked to DNA found on the victims in 2014, which, like, isn't that enough evidence? John Bitrolf was was a carpenter who lived in Manorville, Manorville, hello, where the torsos of the Long Island serial killer's victims, Jessica Taylor and Jane Doe No. 6, were recovered. The remains were discovered roughly three miles away from John's home. He was also a hunter who seemed to enjoy killing and mutilating animals. Hello. And reportedly once, quote, cut out the heart of a deer he had just shot and ate it raw in the woods, end quote. Neighbors also recalled him killing small animals when he was younger, Boom. Hello. Uh, like, <laughs> another good... link between John Bitrolf and the Long Island serial killer case became apparent when it was revealed that the grown daughter of Rita Tangretti, one of John's known victims, was reportedly best friends with Melissa Bartholomew, our first victim, mm-hmm. our first identified victim, yeah. one of the Gilgo Beach victims. Quote, Melissa Bartholomew's mother also reported that Melissa 
had a lot of calls to Manorville from her phone at the time. Remember, y'all? <laughs> like I, DNA? What? Okay. Another possible suspect is Joseph Brewer, an Oak Beach resident was one of the last people to see Shannon Gilbert alive. Okay. So she was hired by Joseph as an escort on the night of her disappearance after posting an ad on Craigslist. Mm-hmm. Hello. Joseph Brewer allegedly had uh, alleged alleged <laughs> Joseph Brewer alleged that shortly after Shannon Gilbert arrived at his residence, she began acting erratically before fleeing from his home off into the night. Shannon was later seen running through Oak Beach, pounding on the doors of homes in Joseph Brewer's neighborhood. It was around this time that Shannon made the phone call to 911 claiming that they were trying to kill her. Mm -hmm. However, police did not find any evidence of any wrongdoing, and Joseph Brewer was quickly cleared as a suspect. Dr. Peter Hackett. Two days after Shannon's disappearance, her mother, Mary Gilbert, received a phone call from Dr. Peter Hackett an Oak Beach resident, and a neighbor of Joseph Brewer. Dr. Hackett allegedly told Mary that he was taking care of Shannon and that he ran a home for wayward girls. Five days after Shannon Gilbert's disappearance, Dr. Hackett made another phone call to Mary in which he vehemently denied ever coming into contact with Shannon or ever making the phone calls to her mother. However, the phone records, duh, later confirmed that Dr. Hackett called Mary twice following the disappearance. The marshy area where Shannon's remains were eventually found was also noted to be close in proximity to Dr. Hackett's backyard. Mm. Subsequently, Shannon's family filed a wrongful death suit against Dr. Hackett in November 2012, claiming that he took Shannon into his home that morning and administered drugs to her, facilitating her death. However, it was later revealed that Dr. Hackett had a history of inserting himself into or exaggerating his role in certain major events. This included the embellishment of his role in the investigation of TWA Flight 800. Oh, great. Police also noted that Dr. Hackett's wife and two children were home on the night of Shannon's disappearance and would have been aware of of or complicit in any foul play that went on that night. Police later ruled out that Dr. Hackett was a suspect in the deaths of Shannon and the Long Island serial killer victims. So this guy is just, stay stay in your lane. James Bissett. Rumors and suspicion grew after the suicide of local businessman and aquarium owner James Bissett regarding possible links to the Long Island serial killer case. James Bissett killed himself two days after Shannon's remains were found. Speculation grew when it was revealed that James Bissett also owned a nursery and had access to large amounts of burlap. Nursery as in, like, flowers, not nursery as in, like, children. However, police deny that James Bissett was ever a person of interest or a suspect in the case. Hmm. So, here's a small excerpt from Dr. Scott Bond, who is a professor of sociology and criminology at Drew University. Oh, funny. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> which was together. which was published on April 7th, 2014. Which I thought was interesting. 
So what has become of the so-called Long Island serial killer who terrorized New York City four years ago? Mm-hmm. I believe that the Long Island serial killer may have left New York since his Gilgo Beach burial ground was discovered by authorities in 2010. This would be very consistent with the behavioral profile I developed for him. The profiling of serial killers is well established among criminologists and professional investigators, especially the FBI. In the vernacular of profiling, the unknown serial killer is an organized killer. This means that he plans and executes his murders with great care, making him very difficult to apprehend. After establishing contact with his victims on Craigslist, he met them on his own terms, killed them, and then transported their bodies for disposal along Ocean Parkway on Long Island. Based on the principles of behavioral profiling, the unknown Long Island serial killer is most likely a white male in his late 30s or 40s. He is likely married or has a girlfriend. He is well-educated, technologically adept, and well-spoken. He may even be charming. Mm -hmm. He is financially secure, has a reliable job, and owns a car or truck. Although he does not currently live on or near Ocean Parkway on the south shore of Long Island, he is intimately familiar with the area and may have once lived there. Most of all, he is careful and meticulous. He knows how to cover his tracks. Significantly, the unidentified killer may be transient and perhaps an annual summer visitor to the south shore of New York. This is suggested by the fact that all of the identified sex worker victims, although they disappeared during different years, were reported missing between Memorial Day and Labor Day. Such a pattern is not really surprising. Two of the defining characteristics of organized psychopathic serial killers are repetitious, compulsive, or cyclical behavior, and the ability to blend back into their seemingly normal lives between killings. Right. It is also possible that the killer once resided in Manhattan because seven telephone calls made over a six-week period in 2009 to the sister of one of his victims, Melissa's sister, right. was traced to Manhattan. Right. In my opinion, the Long Island serial killer will absolutely not stop killing until he is apprehended. He may be dormant right now, lying in wait, or may have relocated and is currently targeting victims elsewhere. Meticulous sexual psychopaths such as he and Ted Bundy love killing too much. Bundy, you will recall, crisscrossed the country to avoid capture. Mm -hmm. Serial killers such as he, Bundy, and Dennis Rader, the man known as BTK, Bind, Mm -hmm. Dorch, or Kill, who terrorized the city of Wichita, Kansas, are driven by fantasy and overpowering compulsions to kill. They crave the act of killing like a narcotic drug and suffer no remorse for the harm they do. It has been clinically demonstrated that some serial killers actually become tranquil when presented by visual images of brutality and extreme violence, rather than becoming agitated as a normal person would under such circumstances. BTK, for example, has stated that the moment of ultimate satisfaction in his crimes was reached when he extinguished the life of his victims through strangulation. He has said, at that moment, I was God. No, the Long Island serial killer will most certainly not stop. So let's hope and pray this unknown psychopath is apprehended before a new mass grave is found. Thank you, Dr. Scott Braun, or Bon, I'm sorry. So that's the Gilgo killer. This dude is still alive, still out there, possibly still killing. And I'm very sorry to everyone. Yeah, that's that's quite a story. 
I mean, wow. I mean, that's the thing. I feel like it's really easy when you think it's a slam dunk case. Oh, hey, you know, they killed our, our condolences to the victims, but they've been apprehended and they've either lived the rest of their lives miserably in prison or they were executed. Yeah. So their evil no longer is there. But it's even worse when you realize that a lot of the times they don't get caught. So, no. you know, it's like you said, they are creatures of habit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's uh, sometimes it's just a matter of time. It's almost like uh, it's like it. You know, it's just every 30 years comes back, does its thing, and then hibernates until it can do it all again 30 years later. Well, fiction always draws from reality. Yeah, absolutely. That's why, like, right now I'm – I don't think we've ever told our listeners what we do, but I'm uh, an audiobook narrator. And some of the books that I narrate, they're all fictional. They're all, like, you know, creepy, some murder stuff. Mm. And it all relates to something that – actually has happened in real life yeah. like oh this character is doing this yeah. well so and so mm -hmm. has done this in the past right. it always draws up from reality so right. it makes perfect sense that well i just think that that's the scary thing is that you know it's so easy to to um to make monsters into things of fiction you mm -hmm. know because then again it's like fiction is not real mm -hmm. fiction is just imagination and whatnot it's the boogeyman of our mind when you realize that these are people, mm -hmm. these are real people. And just like you said, like they described originally, oh, white guy, uh, family, that could be anybody. Literally. It could be anybody, mm -hmm. you know? And I just think that what I enjoy, well, I, I wouldn't say enjoy, something that stuck out to me mm -hmm. was that in the beginning, this guy couldn't resist calling victims mm -hmm. family mm -hmm. and calling his victims taunting them yeah yeah so in some way to me that shows arrogance that shows i'm not yes. going to get caught yes. i want to make you feel worse not only is the person you care about dead they were not worth the life yeah. they had because they were prostitutes yes. they were sex workers you know, the one I felt especially bad for um, was the, uh, the I guess, young man who was dressed like a woman. Yes. Because, you know, you see sometimes things like this where the, the killers who are predominantly killing women. Women. They find out that this is a, was a very well-dressed uh, man masquerading as a woman. So that's not as much breaking up. That's a mistake that, that was rectified because... You know, it's like it, it's almost like an outrage mm -hmm. because which to me might say that, that not only did he kill his victims, I also feel like this person might have been involved with them in some way. It could be mm -hmm. possible, mm -hmm. you know, so maybe it's another reason that only a torso was found. Yes. You know, and again, it could be a condition like uh, our, our episode one killer. You know, I believe he was involved with his victims first and then killed them. Yeah. You know? He had a relation. Yeah. And then boom. And uh, during the process, it was like, I'm going to end you now. Yeah. It's like, well, that's over. So now I'm going to end you. <laughs> you know. Um, just like. Uh, I mean, uh, honestly, I, I, it's just like, just when you hear the names again and you hear their backstories, mm -hmm. it just really does remind, like, I mean, I'm me. I was just like, man, I, I'm. Like, you ever have, like, this feeling like you want to sleep, but mm -hmm. it's not the sleep because of exhaustion. You sleep because you're sad. Mm -hmm. You're just absorbing all this stuff. You mm -hmm. kind of want to sleep your feelings. Like, that's how I was like, I was like yeah. oh, my God. Like, I'm not nodding off because this is boring. I'm, I'm, I'm It's feeling... just like, I need to rest because this is yeah, so that, sad. Yeah, exactly. This is weighing heavily on yes. me. And, um, you know, I think that's the thing, like, what's so, so 
leaves an impression on you as like we are casting a light on these things so it's just like you know there's no place that's i, I hate to say it like this because i'm not trying to spread alarm it's like really there's no place that's safe this can happen anywhere literally so you know and again we're not saying the world can't be wonderful and awesome and, and magical but it's it's the world is also full of monsters and not all monsters look like you know clowns or demons exactly they look like you exactly you can't tell so you have to have your guard up and you have to make smarter decisions not just about who you love who you trust um you know that's not just general light that that's general survival Mm -hmm. because it is often the people who you let in exactly last you know and then you find out that person you let in is not the person you thought i mean if you look at photos of joel rifkin our first episode guy he looks like a regular dude like excuse me like you just see this dude down down the street walking right past you hey listen we're gonna go there we're gonna go ted bundy you know (laughs) exactly he looked regular he was actually charming yeah he was uh, listen like again he was a horrible person but women were still like oh my god he's so attractive yeah People are people. Sometimes are so eager to overlook the evil, they will focus on the other things. And they were like, "Yeah, that's what all his victims thought too." Yeah, yeah. You know, you can't. You're not the special snowflake that's going to fix the problem. No. So, well, that's Long Island. That's Uh, officially okay, guys. That is definitely officially Long Island. mm -hmm. Next time. We're going to have two episodes on Staten Island. Yes. Very excited. Thank you so much so, for putting up with us yeah, so, and our lies. Yeah. And <laughs> and I guess the best thing to say is that if you guys have any other stories you think in Long Island, like, again, it's a big place. And as we've seen, there's a lot of history and whatnot. If there's something that you feel that we should definitely look into and kind of discuss and talk about, you know, as as Danny would say, so I'll take a picture book. You know, we're on we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we have emails. Oh we're yeah, let me do my spiel. I have oh, a yeah. spiel. Yep. Let me do that. Okay, guys, I have an official close. We're so professional. Oh my god. <laughs> Just trot it out. So thank you for coming with us on our journey to this week's strange little world. Mm-hmm. We hope you enjoyed your stay and that you don't sleep too poorly tonight. Mm -hmm. Uh, Subscribe. (laughs) I can't talk. Subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts to keep up to date with our stories. Mm. If you have a personal true crime or paranormal experience, if there's any particular story you want us to feature, email us at strangelittleworldspodcast at gmail.com. That's strange little worlds podcast at gmail.com connect with us via facebook twitter and instagram at slw podcast that's slw podcast and join us next time for another episode of strange little worlds all right we'll see you uh, another time and just remember we're only listening away